Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Under God. In this series, we're exploring what it means to be a citizen of heaven. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Well, good morning, everybody. We're in this series called Under God, and, and you, know, in the, you know, last week, in the middle of the week was uh, 4th of July, and we felt like on these two weekends around this, we, we ought to uh, um, really look into what it means to be a citizen of a country, but also a, citizens of, a citizen of heaven. And, and so uh, I was inspired by uh, some messages that Pastor Craig Rochelle gave uh, along the same topic, and so we're just grateful for some of the stuff they've shared with us. But, you know, if, if you're like me, you probably grew up going to school and saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And um, there's nothing uh, distinctively uh, um, Christian uh, about the uh, Pledge of Allegiance, although we as Christians agree with much of what it says. But, you know, I thought, what would it look like if we looked at some of those phrases and said, what does that mean for us as followers of Jesus? What does that mean to be one nation under God? And so last week we kicked this series off and we looked at a couple of those phrases and today we're going to look at two more. But if you remember the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible and with liberty and justice for all. Now, last week we looked at one nation under God. Today we're going to look at indivisible and with liberty and justice for all. And and what that means for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Because that's really the key here. Because our, our citizenship in heaven, our citizenship as a part of the kingdom of God, as followers of Jesus, uh, uh, is higher than any other citizenship uh, in the universe. And so that's important for us to understand. So look, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm excited to share this with you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad you're here. You're going to get an inside look at what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So let me just say a quick prayer and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you that you brought us here today. Lord, we know that you have something that you want us to hear and want us to uh, deal with in our lives. And and so, Lord, I just pray that you would use me, that you would say what you want to say through me, and that you would receive all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first word we're going to look at is indivisible. And when I look at that word, I have this question. How do we stay united? How do we stay united? I mean, let's be honest. Let's look at our our nation right now. It's divided. I would even go one step further. I think it's fractured. It's not just two sides. There seems to be so many different fractures and things going on in so many different groups. It's, It's hard to make sense. And what are we to do as followers of Jesus Christ? What's our role in creating unity in a nation? And honestly, let's be real. Those same divisions and those same fractures seep into the lives of followers of Jesus. And so we experience those same things in the body of Christ, uh, in the the church. Um, When we want to talk about unity in the church as followers of Jesus, the best scripture for us to turn to is a prayer that Jesus prayed. It's in John chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's also going to be on the screen. This is what Jesus prayed. This is just a part of what he prayed. He said, I pray also for those 
who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays for the unity of his disciples 2,000 years ago, but also for every successive generation of followers of Jesus Christ. He prayed for their unity, and it's important that he prayed this because he wanted the world to know that God sent him to earth and that God loves him. So it's important that we understand that, that this unity says something to the world about God and about the Savior that he sent. Now, the big picture is this. Uh, God and the, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit want the bride of Christ, the church, to be united. Um, but as I said, you know, we as a nation uh, are fractured and that seeps into the church and we experience those same type of fractures too. Now, I've been a Christian since 1982 and I've seen some of the fractures in the church along the way. There have been fractures over uh, what mode of baptism one should have in the church. Should it be immersion or should it be sprinkling? I've seen um, fractures that we used to call them worship wars about different style of music, um, you know, but... You know, the fractures that we see in the church today and that divide Christians are different. They're about issues like abortion and sexuality and race and immigration and on and on. And by the way, I'm not going to tackle uh, those today. Uh, um, uh, but let me remind you something really important about what it says in Scripture uh, you know, big picture view. You, you won't hear these uh, statements in Scripture, but you'll get this in Scripture. And it's this. Your sister in Christ who voted differently than you is not the enemy. Your brother in Christ who has a different position on you, than you on a social issue is not the enemy. Um, People that you know who don't even believe in Jesus are not the enemy. Scripture tells us that we have an enemy and that enemy's name is Satan. And Scripture tells us that Satan came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Uh, scripture tells us that we don't fight with flesh and blood as believers but that we're in a spiritual battle with Satan and his demons. And so uh, when it comes to the family of Christ, Satan wants to steal our unity. He, he wants to kill our churches and he wants to destroy our credibility before the world so that the world will not turn to Jesus. He comes to steal, to kill and destroy. So knowing that and knowing that, you know, people who think differently than us are not our enemies. How do we live in unity as followers of Jesus Christ? How do we live in unity in the body of Christ so that we can influence the world? And that's the big picture. He wants us to be unified so that we will influence the world. So I, I want to share with you two points that come from Scripture that I believe are how we can stay united as followers of Jesus. And the first one is this. We need to recognize that we belong to one another. If you 
profess faith in Jesus Christ, you're a son or daughter of God, and you and I belong to one another. We need each other. We're connected, and uh, we, that's undeniable. Uh, you may not like that truth, but that's the truth. And so we have to understand what that means for us as followers of Jesus Christ. So let me share with you a scripture from the book of Romans. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Every single one of you is important to the body of Christ. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey and your level of spiritual maturity, you are important to Jesus and you belong in the body of Christ. Whatever you believe on a political or social issue, you belong to the body of Christ and we need each other. And we need to understand that scripture says that we need each other because the most important thing that we're all unified on is that Jesus Christ is the son of God and it's through faith in him that we are saved. And we have to learn to recognize that we need one another regardless of our differences. You know, scripture's really clear that there's a lot of things that you can't do as a follower of Jesus without doing them with other followers of Jesus. I like to call those the one another. So uh, if you ever use Bible Gateway, go in and do a word search on the phrase one another and you'll see, particularly in the New Testament, all of the one another's that we have to do with one another. And one of those one another's is we need to bear with one another. And if we're going to be unified, we're going to have to bear with one another. I, I share with you a personal story. When I was 28 years old, I became a senior pastor of a church in Minnesota that was 120 years old. And, um, you know, as I got to know the people, Cynthia and I got to know people and got invited into their homes and into their lives, you know, we began to understood, you know, uh, what their hobbies were, what their passions were, what their politics were, what their social stances were. And, um, you know, I, I had this kind of aha moment where I realized that, um, Everybody was represented in the church, you know, and, and, and it created some tension in me because, uh, you know, I, I struggle with, you know, how do I minister to people that uh, have strong uh, feelings about things that they want to share with me or with other members in the congregation? H how do I deal with that? And, and, and I'm going to be candid. It was my discomfort because they were getting along fine. Um, it was my insecurity that, that was driving this, and, and, and I struggle with it. And along this time, you know, this season in life, God gave me a vision to plant a church. And, and uh, um, naively, I said, wow, that'll be so awesome because when I plant a church, when I start a new church, we're all going to believe the same thing. We're all going to be on the same page. And, uh, you know, so in, in 1999, we moved here. We uh, started gathering a group of people to plant this church that became Valley Brook. And the first week, I realized we had people who had beliefs all across the spectrum, but there was one core belief that Jesus Christ is Lord and it's through faith in him that we receive eternal life. And, and, and so that was a powerful experience for me. Now, years and years ago, I, I learned uh, something that one of the early church leaders said that uh, was something I memorized, but over the years, it just becomes more and more powerful. It was from a man named John of Chrysanthemum. He was a leader in the church in 300 AD. 
And uh, the phrase that he said has been translated um, in different ways, but the way I learned it was this, and it says this, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things love. In essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, freedom, and in all things love. Now think about that. As a follower of Jesus Christ, what are the essentials? The essentials are that we believe that the only way to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. The essentials are that we have a heavenly Father, God the Father, who loves us, who sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit to the earth for us. We believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that we are saved by grace, by faith, by no work of any human being. Those are some of the essentials that we believe. But there are also some non-essentials. And in non-essentials, we have freedom. We have liberty to, to not be on the same page with one another. That may mean that you're one part of one party and I'm part of another political party. It, those aren't essentials, all right? It may mean that you have a, a certain stance on one social issue and somebody else has another. But as Christians, we're together on Jesus and in all things love. In all things love. So, big picture, we belong together, but we're unique individuals. We're, we're all unique, and, and we have to, to recognize that. And it's important that we understand what the essentials are and that we also understand what the non-essentials are, and we don't try to make non-essentials essentials in the body of Christ. And that's very important. And then we have love in all things. So let me, let me move into that area of love. And that's the second thing that I want to share with you about how we hold this unity together. We need to love one another like Jesus loves us. And how does Jesus love you? He loves you this much that he would willingly be crucified on a cross to save you and me for eternal life, regardless of whether we ever believe in him. He doesn't make us believe in him. He gives us that freedom to choose. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the primary calling of a Christian is that we're supposed to love one another, particularly in the body of Christ. We're supposed to love one another so the world may know that we are disciples of Jesus and that Jesus has done something radical in our lives because we love one another, even though we're all unique individuals who uh, sometimes uh, rub us wrong or say things that uh, hurt us, we're supposed to love one another. And the world will know that Jesus has done something miraculous in our lives. Dwight L. Moody was a, a preacher back in the 1800s. He grew up here in uh, New England and he was a, a preacher um, here in the States and, and also in, the, in Great Britain, uh, very famous. Uh, he had many of uh, people who were his fans and he had folks that were his foes. And Dwight L. Moody said this about Christians. He said, you may find hundreds of fault finders among professed Christians, but all of their criticism will not lead one solitary soul to Christ. 
As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to recognize that we need one another, so we belong to one another, and that we're supposed to love one another. And when people see that love, they will realize that Jesus has done something different in our lives, and they're attracted to that, so we can share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. If our disagreements with one another, if our criticisms with one another, and one another's politics and positions in life get in the way of the gospel, and in fact, push people away from Jesus, one day we will have to answer to Jesus for that. One day we will have to. Bringing someone to your side of the argument or to your position will not bring them eternal life. And we need to recognize that. Bringing them to Jesus will bring them eternal life. Now, how do we do that? by loving those inside the church, by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, and those outside of the church, just like Jesus does. Now, let me move away from politics and social issues and just talk about, um, you know, you know, how we love people in the body of Christ who, who may have a different experience in, in Christianity than us. You know, it's important that we recognize, and when we did this early on as a church, we said, you know, the reality is, is that God has brought many people to bring, to make this church up that we call Valley Brook. They, God has brought people who didn't know Jesus and didn't have a church experience and people who did have a church experience. People who, who may have come from a, a different uh, religious upbringing uh, and they've found Jesus here. And God also brought Christians who had been raised or experienced another stream uh, in the body of Christ. They may have been Catholic. They may have been charismatic. They may have been Baptist. They, uh, they may have been non-denominational. And you know what I've always said is we're going to honor your past, but we're going to work together to honor one another as we focus on the essentials of following Jesus Christ and living as his sons and daughters. And so it's critical that in the body of Christ, we recognize that we're supposed to love and respect and honor one another and care for one another. Now, let's talk about big picture. You know what? We're humans. We're going to make mistakes. And so when we offend somebody, when we step on somebody's toes, you know what the Christian thing to do is say, I'm sorry. I, I goofed up. I didn't mean to do that. Or I'm sorry, I was just really passionate at that moment and, and I, I didn't mean to, to just sort of spew that all on you. Will you forgive me? Because, you know, more important than our politics or our positions is our Savior. And he is the ground of our unity, what unites us. And we need to recognize that. You know, uh, over the years as a follower of Christ, you know, I've heard Christians say things like this. I don't know how anybody can be a Christian if... They're a member of this political party or if they have this social position or if they attend this church or that church or whatever it is. Statements like that are divisive. And statements like that really say something about our spiritual immaturity. Because scripture says this in more than one places. And I'll just read you one verse from 1 John. It says this, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. So we need to recognize that the power of what we say and how we love one another is critical to the unity of the body of Christ. And that unity has an effect on wherever you live. If you have ever read anything by Bob Goff, I know you know the kind of person he is. He's a follower of Jesus Christ, an amazing uh, man, and he is a hilarious writer, and um, he tells stories that will make you laugh and make you cry, but they're poignant. 
And recently I, I heard him tell a story about when he took his wife to a, a dinner theater. If you've ever been to a dinner theater, you know the deal. You, you go in, the, they have waiters and waitresses, and they serve you a meal, and they give you drinks and dessert. And then after the food is, is over, the meal's over, then there's a show. But even during the show, the waiters come back and forth to make sure you have enough to drink and all those things. And so he's at a dinner theater with his wife, and they've eaten, and the show's starting. And at the table between he and his wife and the screen, uh, this, uh, this waiter keeps coming back and forth and he's, he's helping the people at that table, but he's standing in the way of Bob and he's going, he's thinking, I can't see the show because of the waiter. And it was very frustrating with him. He didn't do anything about it, but, but when he got home, he was reflecting on it. And he felt like God was speaking to him. And I want to read to you what he said. He said, I think that when I get to heaven, I don't want Jesus to say, Bob, People couldn't see me because your opinions were blocking their view of me. I don't want Jesus to say that to me either. Clark, people couldn't see me because your opinions were blocking their view of me. My brothers and sisters in Christ, when we love one another because we know we belong together and we're unified, that unity will not block people from seeing Jesus. That love will not block people from seeing Jesus. That unity and that love will magnify who Jesus is to the world. So we need to be unified. The next statement in the Pledge of Allegiance is with liberty and justice for all. And, and, and here's my question. How do we do that? How do we make sure there's liberty and justice for all? How do Christ's followers work on that? I'm going to turn back to the Bible as always. This is from the Gospel of John. It's called the Prologue. It's the first chapter of John, chapter 1. And I'm going to read you a couple of verses so you can turn there if you want to. Again, it'll be on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That scripture is the foundational doctrine of the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus was fully God and he set aside his deity to come to earth. He was still fully God, but he didn't use his deity. He lived a fully human life. He lived like us. He was fully God and fully human, and he came to earth so that we could know that God loves us. And it says he came and he was full of grace and truth. Sounds like liberty and justice, doesn't it? Grace and truth. As followers of Jesus, we should seek to be like him and to be people of grace and truth. Now, this is even more important in this time where 
Uh, and many people say we're in a post-Christian era and with the fractions and things that we experience, I, I believe that they're right. So how do we live with grace and truth? I want to tell you two things. First, be people of grace. Be people of grace. In the book of Colossians, it says this. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So what God is telling us through the Apostle Paul is that our actions and our words are very important. So we need to be aware and wise about how we act to people who don't know Jesus people who are not in our circle, of, uh, we need to recognize that, that we need to make the most of all, every opportunity to share Christ with them. And then he says something very important. He says, let your conversation, your words, let them always be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. So basically what he's saying is you need to be gracious toward people. And this idea of being seasoned with salt is you want to make them thirsty for Jesus. You want them to know what Jesus has done in your life so that, that they will want that same thing. They will want Jesus. Now Paul's telling us that we have to recognize that our words are powerful, our actions are powerful, and as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be people of grace. What that means, quite honestly, is that we need to think before we speak. And I recognize that some of you do. Some of you think before you speak. But sometimes some of us don't think before we speak, and we just got to let it out. And, uh, you know, the reality is, is that there are some things that we think that we just shouldn't speak. Now, some of you say, wait a minute, I have freedom of speech. You do. You do. But you and I have an, a higher allegiance as followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus and his word tell us time and time again that followers of Jesus need to limit their freedom for others. So that means... Some thoughts just shouldn't be spoken, particularly if you're going to be people of grace. But not only are you supposed to be people of grace, you're supposed to be people of truth. Jesus said this. This is in John 8. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. The ultimate truth is God's word and it will set us free if we love God's word and if we learn God's word and if we live God's word. Truth isn't something that we impose on others, but it's something we share with gracious words and gracious actions. So we're supposed to be people of grace and truth. And it's important that you understand that those two words need to go together. And let me tell you why. Truth without grace leads to rules and legalism. And rules and legalism lead to rebellion. Grace without truth leads to this idea that you can do whatever or believe whatever you want. And, and that just gives you your license to be a, a relativist. You know, what's true for you isn't true for me. And that's what relativism, relativism is. But, but Jesus said, 
that we need to know the truth and the truth will set us free. There is absolute truth and we need to recognize that, that God has revealed that to us in Jesus Christ. Seeing that grace and truth is important for us and living under it and communicating it and living it in the way that we live our lives each and every day. We need to be like Jesus and live with grace and truth. We need to recognize that, that as followers of Jesus Christ, that, that we're called to work for unity in the church, to, to recognize that we need one another, that we belong to each other, that we're supposed to love one another and love all people, and, and that we're supposed to speak words of grace and truth. And, and so as we do that, then we create unity in the body of Christ, and that influences this world as we live under God in everything and everywhere and all that we do. So this morning, I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for you in two ways. I want to pray that we can be people who, who live under grace and truth and, and love one another. But I also recognize this, that, that if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, um, that's where you start. So I want to give you the opportunity to, to tell him that you believe in him and you want to follow him today. And I'm going to give you a prayer very simply that you can pray silently in your seats. I'll just give it to you phrase by phrase, and, and then I'll move into a prayer for all of us. So if everybody would bow their heads, I encourage you just to, to pray uh, as I lead you. So if you want to profess your faith in Jesus Christ, then this is what I encourage you to pray. Uh, God, I believe in Jesus. God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive my sins. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead to defeat the power of sin. And now I want to follow him all the days of my life. Now I'm just going to pray for all of us. God, we recognize that you have called us to live under you as our main influence in this world. That we're your sons and daughters and we've been saved by grace through our faith in Jesus. And so we belong to one another and we need to live that way. And we need to love one another so the world will see that you have changed our lives and so that we can encourage one another. And we need to live like you, full of grace and truth. So help us do that. Everywhere we go in our lives, with every person we meet, help us live like Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, uh, I want to share with you something that's going to be happening in my life, and it's important that you know it uh, for a couple of reasons, because I'm not going to be here for the next two months. Um, I am having open-heart surgery this Wednesday. Uh, I was born with a, uh, a heart valve that's been repaired once, but now it needs to be replaced. So I would appreciate your prayers uh, greatly, but, but I also wanted to, to share with that with you because so you'll know, uh, you know, where'd Clark go? Um, and uh, so I'll be having surgery and then recovering from it. And so I, I, uh, I appreciate your prayers. Um, listen, you know, while, we, uh, while I'm gone, you know, the mission of our church is to love God, love people and change the world. So we're all on, on point with that. That doesn't change. And we have an incredible staff and incredible elders who are going to help us lead our church during this time. So whatever you need, you know, continue to reach out to them and, and they will care for you and our programs will go on. Everything's going to go on as normal. Uh, during this season, we've asked uh, Pastor Dan Hermans to take over the lead pastor position. So I'm going to invite Dan to come up and he's going to share a few words uh, about where we're headed this summer. And, uh, and then he'll close us in prayer. Good morning, church. 
Uh, so as we said, first service, um, you know, I'm very excited about what God has in store for us this summer, but it's also very bittersweet, um, you know, having not just a, a fellow pastor, but a friend not, not be, you know, here with us, you'll be right down the road, um, you know, but, uh, you know, we believe, you know, firmly here, you know, because God's word says it, that God is glorified through all things. Yeah. And so, you know, what we're doing already is we're praising God for the testimony um, that he's going to bring through this, you know, surgery with Clark. And uh, so I'd encourage you all to pray for that as well. But I just wanted to share with you a little bit about where we're headed this summer. You know, there's this kind of thing that a lot of local pastors talk about during the summer where in New England, if you're a pastor in New England, you say goodbye to your your congregation in the summer because everybody heads for the hills. They go on vacation, they get busy, nobody's here, numbers drop. But, you know, I want to challenge you this summer, you know, as we're diving in, you know, to some really cool topics and some amazing chunks of scripture, I would challenge you to not go absent and not get so busy that you miss gathering together as God's word talks about. And so just to give you, just to whet your appetites a little bit, about where we're going this summer. Um, We have some really great stuff planned. We've been praying as a staff, as a pastoral staff and a leadership about really where the Holy Spirit desires our church to uh, to focus this summer. And so there's two main areas that we're focusing on. And the first one, we're starting this upcoming week. And it's this really amazing series called How to Neighbor. Um, and it's this concept of, of what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself. So to kind of give you a little idea, just check out the screen and we have a quick video for you. And the whole concept of this series is rooted in the phrase that you might not share offense, but you can share burdens and joys. You know, in Mark uh, 12, we see this really cool interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees, kind of the religious rulers of the day, and they were trying to trip him up and get him to make a mistake. And they said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And a lot of us know this. Jesus looked at them and said, you know, the greatest commandment is to love your Lord God with all of who you are. But then he kind of threw a wrench in the works and kind of flipped the lid a little bit. And he said, but the second that is equally as great is to love your neighbor as yourself. But the the cool part is if you know the context of that verse, and this is really where this comes from, this whole series, he doesn't give a specific people group. He doesn't say just the Jews or just the Gentiles or just this area or that area. But it is assumed through this scripture that your neighbor is all people. And so in this scripture, in this series, it's a four-week series, we're going to look at four areas of our culture, of society that might be a little different than each one of us. You know, because our neighbors are not just the people that live next door, that look like us, that might think like, it's perfect for what you were, where you went this morning, that, you know, might have the same cultural environment that we do, but instead, we're going to look at how do we love and carry the burdens of people that we might not interact with, we might not understand, um, or we might not even know exist. And so, you know, we're going to be looking at the topic of racism, which is a really, um, you know, big topic topic in our society, an important topic for the church to address. We're going to look at, you know, fostering and the poor and basically how we can as a body work to love our neighbors, um, you know, not just in the church, but outside the church as well, especially outside the church. And the other series, just a really quick thing, because it's, it's cool, I like it, um, is, is the series is called What Would Jesus Undo? Now, by a raise of hands, who here wore growing up a WWJD cheesy, like bright green or pink or whatever little bracelet on their Oh, Kip, you are camp guy. You had to have worn a WWE. Really? Oh, bummer. I got mine at camp. I got Camperia, the bookstore. It was like a $12 bracelet too. But WWJD, what would Jesus do? That like marked, you know, that phrase marked my childhood. But this series is cool because Jesus is way more uh, interested in your heart than interested in just cheesy taglines. 
And it sounds cliche, but I think a lot of times as believers, we have these taglines, we have these outward things that we focus on. When Jesus, if you look at his teachings, was so interested and it was so imperative to him of the condition of your heart. So we're going to be looking at things like indifference and spiritual pride and hollow worship and how we as believers can untangle the, the stuff in our hearts and how Jesus can undo the things and the knots in our lives. And so we're really excited for the summer. Um, I'll be speaking a lot of the Sundays, but we also have some really great guest speakers, um, honestly, from all over the country, which is exciting coming in to just share and, and help share that burden. So we're just excited, church, but I would encourage you, invite your friends. These are great topics for you to invite you know, maybe your neighbors too, um, but just people that might not be used to church. These are very accessible topics, but hopefully challenging topics for all of our hearts. Cool. I'm excited about what, I'm going to be listening online, so I'll be listening for your specific laughters too, so I'll, I'll know if you're here. So anyway, I'm excited about it, so thank you. But, you know, all this being said, you know, we started off the service, you know, with the welcome. We're launching the prayer room. And every week we talk about the importance of prayer at Valleybrook, you know. And, and we do. In the seat back we have those, those cards. And we, we literally, as a staff and elder board, we pray over these prayer requests weekly. And, and so many of you, it's been a journey to pray with you through, you know, mountaintop moments and valley low moments. But I just wanted to end this service. You know, this is Clark's last Sunday before his surgery. Uh, he goes in on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to end this service praying over Clark and also over Cynthia. Cynthia is walking with Clark very closely, obviously, through this whole thing. And so, Cynthia, would you mind coming up? I'm going to invite our elders up as well, the ones that are, are here. But, you know, as a church, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, laying uh, on hands or laying on a holy hands. And, and because we can't all get up, I would just encourage you, if you want to stand and if you just extend a hand, you know, metaphorically laying a hand on these two, uh, this is how I just wanted to end and, and kind of be our, our last thing that we do with Clark before this surgery. Uh, so let's lift him up as a body this morning. Father, we just thank you um, for all the ways that you've moved uh, in this body through Clark and through Cynthia, through their ministry, through their marriage, through their family. And Father, we praise you for how you're going to continue to move uh, come the fall when Clark rejoins us. Um, but Father, we just, uh, we pray healing over Clark's body in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that this surgery would go off without a hitch. Father, that uh, Wednesday would be Clark's surgeon's best day. That he'd be having a great day. That you would give him wisdom. That you would give him rest. That you would uh, just give him all the tools and the sharpness of mind that he needs to do this surgery. Um, but Father, again... We intentionally, we praise you for the testimony of the healing that Clark is going to have. We praise you for how you're going to bring uh, Clark and Cynthia together through this time. We praise you for uh, the protection that you're going to provide over their family. And Father, again, we just, uh, we pray against any complications in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray uh, fast healing. We pray unity in their family. Uh, Father, we pray... Um, Lord, we pray that Clark and Cynthia would see that not only do they have a Father in heaven who is carrying them and who has their back and who sustains them, as your word says, but they have a body of men and women here at their church at Valleybrook, a family of brothers and sisters in Christ who also have their back, who desire to honor them, who love them more than they'll ever know, and who appreciate and value them, and who will be diligently praying for them daily. And so, Father, we just lift up Clark. We pray that you protect their home. We pray that you would, we just pray the blood of Jesus over uh, the Poff home 
in the next few months, Father, that you would just protect against any attacks of the enemy, but instead that this would be a time of healing and restoration. And honestly, Father, that you would uh, work in ways that we can't even predict, that you would um, just fill Clark again with a passion for ministry that he's always had. But Lord, again, we just thank you and we praise you for Clark. We thank you for the success of the surgery. We pray healing and wisdom. And it's your amazing name we pray. Amen. So church, that's my challenge to us this summer. You know, I think a lot of times it's this cliche thing that we say, oh, I'll pray for you, and then we never do. But daily, let's lift up Clark and Cynthia and the Pa family. Daily, let's pray, especially on Wednesday, but daily that God would do amazing things in and through this, because again, we know that God gets glorified through all things. Thank you all. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. God bless you. Prayer teams will be up here if you need somebody to pray with. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.